jump all in and say, I get it. I'm with you. You just need a mustard seed of faith that he'll grow at the right time. So Gideon plays the multiple fleece game. Hey, God, if it's of you, do this. Oh, shoot, he did it. Um, no, no, really, God, if it's you, do the river. Oh, my goodness, he did that too. I'm starting to think this is really God. All right, God, well, good. I got an army. We could maybe make this happen. God says, you're right, we can make this happen. But now with that army, that's 10,000. If you win with 10,000, you might think that, oh, yeah, we kind of had a good plan. We had some good soldiers. We were out, outgunned, but, you know, we gave it the old college try, and it worked out. God says, no, let's trim that down to 300, because then you'll know where the victory came from. You'll know this was me. So it's now battle time, and God, he already spoke to Gideon. He said, it's going to happen. But then he says, you know what? If you're still scared the night before the battle, why don't you walk down to the enemy's camp? Seems like the last thing I'd want to do if I was scared to go fight him tomorrow, why would I walk down there tonight? So he takes his servant, he goes, and what does he hear? As soon as he gets there, one fellow says, oh, I had this dream. This like uh, loaf of barley came and toppled our, our camp. And his buddy says, oh, I know what that is. That's the Lord saying that Gideon's going to come destroy us. Wow, these people don't even believe in God. They probably don't even know who Gideon is. But God does his will with all the inhabitants of the earth, and he's going to bring about all his good pleasure. So he gives that dream to encourage Gideon. Then Gideon goes, blows the trumpets the next day, and what happens? But the enemy starts slaughtering each other. That doesn't make any sense. You hear a couple trumpets and a few things of glass break, so let's start killing our own army. Uh, no, not going to happen unless God does as he pleases with all the inhabitants of the earth and brings about all his good pleasure. So the apostles, they had a promise from God. Acts 1.8, Jesus told them, last thing before he left, he says, you know, guys, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they had a, a calling from the Spirit, uh, verse 20 of chapter 5 in Acts. Okay, Uh, the angel, when he let the apostles out of prison, said to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. So they had a kind of generic promise, God's going to use us, and now a specific word. Stand in the temple and preach. That's your your assignment. So they were going to bank on that and just poses the question, you know, what about us? Is there a promise from Scripture or a revelation from the Spirit that we need to hold on to? Well, there's great encouragement no matter what it looks like because of God's sovereignty, because he's able to bring about what he promised, because we don't need to waver in unbelief, because even if we've tried to do it our way and it's made a, a mess, God will bring it about his way, you know, because of... Uh, his ability to exalt us at the proper time, even when everything looks the opposite, because of God's ability to use the weak people, like Gideon, like us, because of God's desire to be intimately involved in the process and say, I'll give you signs. We can deal with fleeces. I can handle that. You know, I can send dreams and interpretations to encourage you. So wherever you're at, just trust that God's in it with you. Now, this all sounds great, and we could end it here and have a rosy picture, but believing God and being faithful cost the apostles. You know, it says the council took Gamaliel's advice. Well, 
They threatened the guys and beat them. I'm not sure how much they left them alone. I mean, I'd, I'd like to be left a little more alone than that, but uh, what have you. But how did they respond to it? They walked out of there rejoicing because they thought, wow, what a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. It's a little different flavor than a lot of Christians and Christians in our culture. The second any of our rights get taken away or threatened or I can't believe that people just aren't you know, wanting Jesus to slam down their throats. Like, Whoa. Hmm, there's kind of a, a swagger that might not be appropriate with who Jesus really is and what our calling really is. You know, Our calling is to have immense joy in the midst of expected suffering, persecution, slander, mistreatment, And so then that begs the question, where did it come from? Well, Jesus early on told his followers, this is kind of the deal. And uh, Blake will read that out of Matthew for us. So they knew, yeah, it's not fun to be mistreated. It's not fun to be persecuted. But if it's happening for righteousness, if it's happening for Jesus, the payoff is awesome. So it's a great trade to take a little temporary pain for an eternal weight of glory. And we all like being around good people, you know. The apostles, they could have shrunk back and been with the people of the world, but man, pretty empty. To have a life of ease in Jerusalem or Minneapolis, it's pointless. But if you can suffer with the prophets who have gone before, that's the company I'd like to keep. And if that can uh, get you into Jesus' presence, much greater. It's one of my favorite passages. Peter, he remembered this. When he wrote a letter to Christians, he, he knew it. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So when we suffer, it should be expected and we should know that, yeah, this is, it's going to bring about joy now, and I'm going to enter into his joy forever. And even in the meantime, I get the spirit of glory and of God to come rest on me. Anytime I'm insulted, persecuted for Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. I just read yesterday about some uh, missionaries from, I think, South Korea who got taken hostage by the Taliban in Afghanistan and... Uh, that they all kind of agreed, yeah, we're in this for real. Yeah, we're going to the death with this. And finally they got released or whatever. And a while later, one of them said to another one of them back living in freedom, like, don't you kind of miss those days? It's like, absolutely. Because they had nothing except God. And they realized that's way better than anything we can have out in society. Um, and, you know, the early church... Uh, They put this into action as well, and 
Hebrews 10, maybe we'll just uh, reference that here. Uh, it says that you know they were mistreated, and sometimes they just stood by those who were so mistreated, and then they rejoiced at the plundering of their property. So, you know, it's not just the apostles. It's not just Peter's theory that this was life for Jesus' followers. You take our stuff, we rejoice because we've got a real treasure. And which, uh, so then just the last point then, what is that treasure? And I think Paul really sums it up well in Philippians 3 where he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So if that's our heart, if we know the beauty of Jesus like Paul did, we're ravished by him and we say, nothing else matters to me except that I can know you and I want to be with you and I want to be like you. Whatever the trade-off is, it's worth it. And it's good to see the apostles. It wasn't just a flash in the pan, high water mark of Holy Spirit excitement, which those are good. But you know, the chapter 5 ends with, And day after day, they were preaching and teaching in the temple and in all the homes. So, absolutely, let's take God's enthusiasm at this moment and say, yeah, I'm all in. Then let's, moment by moment, day by day, long-term, steady state obedience, let's stay after that as well. CJ, could you uh, put Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 on the screen? So we, uh, we move from chapter 5, where there's persecution, but faithfulness in the midst of persecution, to a, a whole other topic but to even get to this place of conflict, because it really does deal with conflict, Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, um, it's a result of revival in all reality. But I'm going to step back here and let's, let's read this corporately, 1 through 7, all right? So, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, thank you, CJ. Okay, so this passage, I see it's about leadership and conflict, and the idea that if leaders lead to the degree that God has called them to, and resolve conflict in a way that is good for everyone, it can bear incredible fruit, right? Conflict can make or break a church. Anybody ever heard of a church split before? Anybody ever been a part of a church split before? I've been there. I think, I think some of you have been there. God's not a fan of church splits, right? I'm just going to say that. So we, we go to the beginning, the birth of the early church, Right? You got 120 to start out with, and you got 11 leaders out of that 120 people. Holy Spirit comes on people. Uh, Peter gives a message. The Holy Spirit convicts people. 3,000 are added to the number. Okay, so now you got 12 leaders because they did cast lots. They, they got another guy on board. So you got 12 men who are apostles, sent ones, who are given the stewardship of this community. Right? Not just stewardship of the community, but the stewardship of releasing the gospel. Um, if, you, if you do a little refreshing once in a while, it's good to do refreshing. Of course, we've been in the book of Acts for a few months. But you'll see the progression of the early church growing. And if you look really carefully, you can see where the term apostles comes in, what the apostles are doing and the responsibility of the apostles. And you can look at the church growth, for example, in Acts 4.4, 4, it says 5,000 men are part of the community. In Acts 5.4, it says more than ever believers are added to the Lord. So it keeps making reference that there is a steady increase of believers coming to Jesus. And they're not isolated like so many Christians are in our culture today where they're separate. They are actually in meaningful fellowship and community with other dis, uh, disciples, and they are being discipled. Joel made the mention that they were going, the apostles were going into people's houses every day. So they were going in private to Christians to disciple them every day. That's a lot of responsibility. And again, you think 12 people. And now we're at, at 5,000. It says they're multiplying more, and we get to Acts chapter 6. And um, there, there are people who think there could be around 20,000 believers now. Okay. And we got 12 leaders here pretty much doing all the work. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Moses, who was judge in the Old Testament, and then his, his father-in-law, I believe it was Jethro, was like, you know what? You're wearing yourself out. You have to appoint other leaders because you're not going to be able to handle this. You've got to work on your leadership infrastructure, right? And so the same kind of thing is happening. We've got more people in the community, which means there's more needs. And there's a certain group of people where their needs aren't being met. Who are they? 
Widows, and specifically, what kind of widows? Okay, they're Greek-speaking, Hellenistic, they're Greek-speaking Jews that are part of the community, and for whatever reason, their needs are being neglected. Now, you look in the Old, um, well, you can look in the Old and the New Testament um, and get a sense that in Jewish society, it's a male-dominated culture, and widows are dependent, they're needy, men are the breadwinners, and either you are a widow and you have family that can support you, or maybe you're not. And if that's the case and you're over 60, this, this became a, a doctrine later on in the church's growth, where you have to be 60 years of age to be on the, the daily list of distribution. So in Jewish community, this is not just Christian, it was Jewish. Um, it was um, Old Testament. Uh, they took care of widows. 60 years and, and older. So this is a, a tradition that's continuing into New Testament faith, into New Covenant. But the, the Hellenists are not being tended to. And the reason for that, apparently, is because they had more conformed to the Greek culture. Where Now, now remember, where, where is the church being birthed? It's not in Rome, right? It's amongst Jews in the heart of of uh, Judaism, right? In Jerusalem. So we have to remember that. And there's an identity and maybe even a pride of, of our Jew the Jewish roots, the, J the Jewish history. And these other people are kind of like, they're separate now because they've compromised. They've embraced a bit of a different culture. They're speaking a different language that is their, their main language because they're, they're literally called Hellenists. Okay, And it looks like there might be some prejudice going on in the church. Not everybody's being treated equally, and that's a problem. That's creating conflict. It's creating disunity, and the leaders are, are hearing this now. And, and there's a, a choice that uh, the apostles need to make, how they respond to conflict. And th they respond in a good way. Number one, they conclude these widows are important. It's wrong that their needs aren't being met. And they end up appointing leaders to meet those needs. Okay, so out of this conflict, there's a need that's exposed. We don't have enough leaders right now to meet the needs of the people, to be fair. All right? Now, a little comment on leadership. People are leaders for different reasons. Right? Some, sometimes people are leaders. This includes the church. Sometimes people are leaders because they want to prove something. Sometimes they operate in control and manipulation, and sometimes they're heavy-handed, sometimes they're oppressive, sometimes they use people, sometimes it's, it's all about them. You think of King Saul. King Saul was about his position, preserving his position at the expense of others. Right? So some leaders literally use and exploit people. Um, it, it talks about that in the Old Testament in the prophets, where, where the leaders are supposed to bind the wounds they're supposed to heal, um, but they're not. They're literally uh, abusing their authority. Well, the apostles aren't those kind of leaders. They're not threatened by others coming up into a place of authority. So, these needs are important. We're going to take care of these Hellenistic Jews. But we can't do this because we have so much responsibility so the resolution is we're going to choose seven other people 
And there's, there's some qualifications. And the reality is not everybody who is a Christian should be a leader. Is that a true statement or am I wrong in saying that? Not everybody who's a Christian should be a leader in the sense of being a deacon or being an elder or being an overseer. Is that a true statement? It is. Okay. Um, the official title of deacon, is it doesn't exist yet in the church. But this looks like the beginning of that. It's, it's going to progress into that. And there's, there's two main criteria in Acts 6.5. It says, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So the, these people are full of faith. They're demonstrating a commitment to Jesus, a belief in the gospel. And they are yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So they are all about the kingdom of God. As Joe was talking, they're sold out. So they're going to do Jesus' will and not their own will. Okay, Jesus is king. I am going to briefly hit on the, the, the title of deacon. and It's actually used in the Greek in, in this discussion. I do want to jump to 1 Timothy 3.8, and I'll just read this. But again, qualifications of leaders in the church says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much why not greedy for dishonest gain? They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober mind, or but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be husband of one, one wife, managing their children, their households well. So, in other words, you've got to have awesome powerful character right you have to be a person of great integrity to be a church leader because you are reflecting christ right you are stewarding the bride of christ you're stewarding the body of christ so your character has to be pretty high quality so that's their resolution they empower seven other people they do a good job and they sew the church, the young church, back together. They stitch it back together. And the, the beautiful thing is, if you handle conflict in a honoring, humble, loving, biblical way, it can make the church stronger. And I think the church was stronger as a result. And maybe there was a little bit of, um, if you want to call it, racism or culturalism that, that got exposed and dealt with. Maybe there is some repentance uh, amongst the, the body there. You know what? We're all one in Christ, regardless if, if um, we speak Hebrew or Greek. You know, that, that we're the same in Christ. Um, they made a decision. Now we've got more leaders. The apostles made a decision. Their main strengths and their main commission from the Lord, Jesus, is to what? Preach and teach? Is that right? And they specifically said, it is, it is imperative that we dedicate our lives, our time, to preaching the word. And that includes discipleship teaching. It also includes preaching the gospel. And you see them preaching the gospel publicly in different places. And that's why they're in jail. is because they're boldly doing it publicly in a very threatening environment. But they're also doing it in homes. So preaching the gospel, being evangelists, being teachers, being disciplers, uh, they've stored the finances. You see Acts uh, 4, 34, 35. You see this multiple times where the money 
money is given to the body, but it's laid at the apostles' feet. So that's also part of their portfolio of stewarding the community is, is the finances. Acts 6.4 talks about prayer. So as good leaders, they said, we are called to this. We are best at doing this. We're bearing the most fruit doing this. So we're going to delegate responsibility to others and raise up other leaders. That's good leadership. That's a healthy community. And the results of this, here, let's go back to chapter 6, 7. It says the word of God increased. Okay? The word of God increased. That's the fruit of this decision. And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Now, if they would have held on to that responsibility of serving tables, they would have had less time to preach the word of God. So they made a decision that strengthened the community inward, but also allowed for the gospel to go further outward and fulfilled the, the building up of the kingdom of the Lord. So that's pretty much it. Okay, that's very kind. Thanks for all your clappy clappy. But Joe had more passion, so I think Joe should get more of the the clapping. But we're gonna that's for you, Joe. Um we're gonna close in prayer and then we're gonna break up into groups. Um we try and limit the preaching here to thirty minutes because meaningful connections with one another is just as important as hearing the word of God. And you look in Acts 2.42 and you see it. So we want to we wanna show how valuable that is and we want to create an environment where people can have the opportunity to be vulnerable, share their hearts, get support, get connected with koinonia, which is heart-to-heart fellowship. That is really important to Jesus and it really enriches our lives. So we just thank you for uh, the word today. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for um, being challenged and encouraged. And we pray that you would bless our fellowship, Lord. And this is, this is a, a new week. Lord, let us, let us go in strength and faith, uh, believing, Lord, that your kingdom is coming. You're blessing us. You're for us. And you've got good things. And they might be hard things, too, in our, in our lives, but you've got good things uh, for us this week. And um, let us be a light. Let us be Christ uh, to a, a hopeless and confused world. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.